were able to celebrate the promise that is in that song. Revelation chapter 4 comes to mind. Gathered around the throne room of heaven, proclaiming, Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, over and over. Worthy is he to be praised, for he is a creator. He created all things, and all things existed because of him. There's a promise for us as the church there. But we know as the church, being called in love as his children, adopted, there's also those who are not. This morning is going to be maybe a brief but poignant word, a message to the church. We'll carry on next week in the same text. We expand upon the later verses, but this morning we look at God's perfect judgment. Something we are reminded of when Joe was preaching about, I constantly go back to this thought that if we are not going to be ashamed of the gospel, we must be for all of the gospel. That's including God's wrath, his justice, and his judgment. We are saved from this. We are no longer no longer in condemnation thanks to the work saving work of Jesus Christ. But the reality is, church, there are people who are still living under condemnation. That should give us the same warning, but not just warning, but motive and urgency that the Apostle Paul had to respond to God in obedience to write this book in the Bible. As he writes to both Jew and and Gentile, we will all face God's judgment. We believe as Christians and we trust in faith that we are because of the work of Christ. We know that God will judge, and this morning we will look at two different ways that he judges in our passage. The first one, that God will judge according to truth, his decrees, his law. But he also will judge according to our works. That's important because we live in a society, different denominations, different religions. You'll find that there's a very familiar term or phrase of a works-based faith. Different religions believe you do a certain amount of works, and then you receive certain blessings from their God. Even in the mentality of the Christian Protestant faith, there are people who find themselves as religious, thinking like the Pharisees did, legalistic, but some believing they are something, but they're not. So I really want to take Paul's warning and look at it this morning as he's writing to the people in our text. And he talks about God's righteous judgment. We're going to be in Romans chapter 2. We're going to look specifically at verses 1 through 11. It says in verse 1, Therefore you have no excuse, O man. Every one of you who judges... For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O oh man, you who judge those who practice such things, and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. But because of your hard and impenitent 
heart. You are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. I'm convinced this morning we have a slim crowd because they read ahead in our texts and didn't want to be here. Or it could be Memorial Day travels, you know, either one. You ain't got to roll your eyes back there. I see you, Mr. Burks. <laughs> Calling him out. But here we are this morning at our text. God's judgment. Looking at it. It is righteous. It is good. Paul starts off with this term, therefore. Remember last week when we sank to this abyss of depravity? This is how I described it, just dark and gloomy. They gave in to the sensuality. They gave in to their mental. Uh, basically, they became very content with their sin in their life. They placed good things in place of God, began to worship idols. It brought them into manners of unrighteousness. And Paul was describing these things in our text the last few weeks. But then he goes into, Therefore, you have no excuse, O man. We are without excuse because we know that God, and our previous pastor is creator, he created us. A few weeks ago, we looked into his creation and through his word. We know that he reveals himself to us, and we have no excuse, none whatsoever, church. Going forward, we have no excuse. Therefore, he turns this message, Paul, turns this message from an outward approach. He turns it and makes it inward to the church, as if we're turning a corner right now. That he was writing to them, talking about the people, but now he is turning it inward to the church because they were passing judgment onto others. They were passing judgment onto others without examining themselves. They were playing judge. They will look into the lives of the others and they would judge. They would shame them, but they would not examine their own motives. Guilty. Can we all say that together? They had this, this word judgment here. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, for every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment onto another, you are condemning yourself. This word judge there. I want us to walk away this morning with a very clear biblical understanding of judging. There's different areas in our life. We look at, think about the, the word judge. You think about maybe gymnastic competition, track and field umpires being baseball season, basketball season, referees. 
There's different judges who know the rules, play by the rules, and make everyone else play by the rules. But then you have law officers. And these law officers, lawyers, judges, they implement the law of the land. Once again, they know the rules, that's their job, and they make others play by the rules. But then we have ourselves. When we look into the life of somebody else, we immediately make a what we would call a judgment call. We would make a decision whether to go, li- to go right or to go left, make a decision whether to make a purchase or not, to show up to some event or not, but also looking into someone else's life to judge them based on the results or based on the fruit that you see in their lives. We're all guilty of doing this. This word judge, to decide, it affects the different areas of our life. But this morning I want to bring it in and look at it through three different ways. As we learn that God is going to judge based according to truth, and God is going to judge according based to our works, but he's also, there's ways that we can look at this judgment, both past, that's already happened, and then we look at judgment currently happening in our lives, and then we can look at judgment to come, the final. So as we look at this scope through these three different areas and these lenses, I want to start with the past. Think about children. For those of you who have been with us on Wednesday nights, We've been talking about creation. We've been talking about creation, how God created man and woman, Adam and Eve. And then this last week we talked about sin, remember? And can someone tell me what Adam and Eve did? Right here? Somebody have a, want to step up? Montana, what did Adam and Eve do in the Garden of Eden? Yeah. Yeah. Disobeyed God. They made a bad decision. But then when they made this decision, we learned that judgment fell on Adam and Eve. Judgment fell on Adam and Eve, and he sent them into exile, the first couple, out of the Garden of Eden. Until this day, the disobedience in Adam and Eve's life, the sin in their life, affects you and I. There was the judgment on Adam and Eve. There was the judgment in the Tower of Babel. There's also the judgment on Egypt and their gods. But then one that really brings it in for you and I is there's judgment on believers' sin. This has already been atoned by Jesus. Jesus took on this judgment upon himself. We know that and we're aware of that. And he did this through the cross. As he atoned and by the grace of God, he made death right, righteous for everyone. That's our hope. And we think about this. We think about the judgment on the sin of every believer. And we think about God's wrath placed on his son as we remembered two weeks ago. That is one of the greatest loves of all. But the judgment of a believer's sin is real. But then we look at judgment, this word judgment on now, here and now. Something that really brings it home 
and applies to us. Think about this term, self-evaluation. The Bible teaches us before we take the Lord's Supper or any time we are before God and we are not right before God, that we examine our hearts, that we examine who we are. And the Word of God corrects us. It judges us. It looks into our life if we read it and apply it. It judges our character. It judges our actions. It judges our response and guides it in the way of righteous living before God. This is that... This is the judgment here and now happening, ongoing sanctification in our life. We can't forget that. But this also happens in the church. So how do I look at someone's life and have a judgment on their life and discern whether or not that they're walking with the Lord? We must evaluate because this is a responsibility of the church to keep accountable, to keep and understand that each and every one of us have a role and responsibility and we must look to one another in love according to God's law and correct each other, love each other. This self-evaluation type of judgment is happening now and it's important in our growth of Christ. But then we get into the divine discipline. Divine discipline from our Heavenly Father through His Word and through His church and through the Holy Spirit. By the Holy Spirit. It's one as if a father and mother is disciplining a child because they're acting up. Or they're going to make a decision and we want to guide them in a different way because we know the outcome. We understand how our reaction, our interaction with our children gives us a picture of the Heavenly Father's discipline of us. This divine discipline is crucial to understand because as the Word works actively in our life, it will lead us to repentance. And we know that that repentance in our life is restoring us to righteousness and wholeness in God. So we can look into one another's lives. We can ask God and and obey His word and His decree and examine me, Father. Judge me, Father, in the way that I love and judge my child as I discern the works. But is it wrong? Is it wrong for you and I to look into a person's life and judge? No. Okay, track with me here. No. Is it wrong for us to look into someone's life to test the fruit? To see whether or not they are living a heart that is pleasing to the Lord? Is it wrong for us to check the motive? No. We do it all the time, but we just use different words. A word that we use in church, discern. We look into each other's lives. We look to a decision. We discern according to the Word of God, according to the counsel of those who are wise in the church, and we pray and we discern our decisions. We're making a judgment call. There's nothing wrong with these things, and actually, I believe it is absent in majority of churches. We must be cautious as a church body to not live so loosely that we can't take the Word of God and correct one another and love one another. That is the heart of God. 
Because God spurred on in Paul to write this letter, and we see also the heart of Paul. Judging is not wrong, but it is wrong if you look into that person's life and play judge. Big difference. Husbands, wives, mothers, fathers. These are things we must be corrected on. We look into the life of someone. It is nothing wrong with checking and discerning and judging, but we must do it according to God's standard. We must do it according to God's word. We are, by responsibility, to correct one another. We are to rebuke the sin in one another's life. We are to encourage one another, just as God has taught us in His Word to do so. This is His standard. By all things we judge according to His Word. We test according to His Word because God has fixed judgments in this book. So as we understand the knowledge of God, and we understand who He is, we're able to take that, not only apply it to ourselves, apply it to our children, apply it to our friendships, and all of our relationships abroad, to grow one another, to encourage one another, to live lifestyles of obedience and holiness. There is nothing wrong with joining arms with God and judge according to truth. God will judge according to truth. The reality is, is that we have these made-up ideologies of who we think someone else should be. Let me warn you this morning, I'm guilty of that. So my warning to you is this, do not fall into that snare of placing false expectations on a believer, a brother and sister. Our standard, our belief of what is right and wrong in the eyes of God comes from the Word of God. Anything else is a false gospel. And you will find yourself preaching, proclaiming, and living in bondage. You'll be a slave to your own idea and not to the freedom that is in Christ Jesus. You must have a clear understanding of what judging looks like, what the heart of God, the great judge, is. Because if we do not, we will falsely roam and falsely have conversations that aren't pleasing to God the Father. So let us check our hearts. Let us learn to encourage and judge one another and discern one another with a loving heart, one that will speak truth into one another's life. Ask good questions, questions that will lead to repentance. We must care for one another that deep and grow together that deep so that we experience the God, the God who is the great judge and judges according to his truth. I said there's three areas, the past, what's happening now, and then the final judgment. That's the reality here, is that there will be a judgment during the tribulation period. 
We see these played out in Revelation 6 through 16. Seven seals, the seven bowls being poured out. I'm sure most of us out of curiosity have read through them and just seen the power of God. Did it create in you by chance a sense of holiness, like reverence, healthy fear of the power and the nature of who our God is, who is on our side and causes His children? There's other judgments coming. The judgment seat of Christ. Also, judgment of nations. The judgment of angels. We could go in great detail of each one of these, but it's important to understand that in these final judgments, Jesus, God, the great judge, the great white throne judgment, the final judgment of all believers, the sin will be accounted for. There will be victory. There is victory in Jesus Christ. But in the final day before creation and new earth, there will be this judgment. I hope this morning that when you hear this term judgment, that you are comforted, that you are on the right side of God's wrath. But if you are not a believer this morning in Jesus Christ, in the gospel of Jesus Christ, I want you to know clearly that that is the hope we have. That we will be victorious. And that when I sing songs like Worthy of Affection and Remember My Child's Funeral, that I have hope that we are going to be whole again. Isn't that right? We're going to be right in the eyes of God. All the ailments and sickness, gone. Because God is good. He's going to make it right. It can be that simple, church. But we have to go and proclaim it. But knowing that there is judgment in the past and there is judgment now and that there is going to be judgment in the future, let's go back to our text. We see here that the Jews are taking it a step further. The people who are receiving Paul's letter, they took it this step further in judging others because they believed that the Jews would not be judged. They believed that they would not be judged. Why did they believe this? In my studies, I learned it was a common tradition. It was a common tradition claimed that Abraham himself is at the gates of hell protecting all Jews from going to hell. Wow. Could you imagine being brought up in this mindset? Being brought up that we are all protected because we are Jew? Clearly they did not understand their condition in condemnation. And Paul was giving this warning. It was a motivator to Paul to share the gospel with him. But here we are this morning, church, thinking about these Jews and thinking about the crazy line of logic that they are all going to be saved. But then let's bring it home for a second in our context. How many people do we know that are in the same boat? They grew up in a Christian family. They grew up in the Catholic Church. 
They grew up in the Methodist church. They grew up in the Baptist church, non-denomination. They grew up and went through all the catechism, all the Bible studies, all the Sunday school they could go to. They were baptized. They walked the aisle. But then when we, you and I, sink our teeth into the fruit of their life, all we get is rot. We have a same warning and message to the locals here in our community as Paul had to the church in Rome and the people. It is a dangerous place to be a traditionalist, to be and live in this life we call nominalism, that you believe you're a Christian just because you go and do certain things. You've grown up and be that way. It is a dangerous place to be a Pharisee, to be religious, to know all things about the Word of God, but not see it change your heart. This is a warning to us, to our family, and we must join in with Paul's concern and preach the true gospel, church. We must evangelize hope. We must share with people. We must look honestly into their lives and say, I get it, you're You believe you're a good person. Look into your life yourself and say, Casey, you think you're a good person, but you're not. You need all of Jesus to save you and his work on the cross. And we must have, we must muster it up in us. And if you, we must be convicted as Paul was convicted to look at these good and religious moralizers and see them as God sees them because God is not deceived. We must love them, speak truth into their lives and say, you need to experience all of Jesus Christ. You just tasted what our culture can give to you of Jesus, but He can give. The Holy Spirit, by the Word of God, can give life-breathing change and hope, peace, comfort. Where is your conviction on that this morning? It is nice and it is gentle and it is cush for you and I to come and worship together. We can meet in our home groups weekly. We can train our children on Wednesday. You can do all the different questions throughout the week and answer them and point them to Christ. But if we can't look to our neighbor, can't look to our neighbors and our coworkers, who, and say, guys, there's something greater. There's something greater to life. And that's Jesus Christ. If we can't evangelize the gospel, we have to correct ourselves this morning. Is this concern that Paul had driving deep in us also? I will admit it's easy to go across the nation and teach the gospel. I won't see them again. But I have a neighbor who I will see every day I have co-workers, patients that I will see weekly and every day. But I don't have the urgency and motive and care to share the gospel with them. We have to check ourselves. There will be a place for us to go straight at it, to evangelize and preach the truth. But then there's a place for us to love them unconditionally as the church. Paul mentions God's kindness. Talks about his mercy that leads us to repentance. 
that same type of kindness in us will attract non-believers to desire what we basically are mirroring the love of God through kindness and mercy. So just follow me. Ask that question. Are you concerned with proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ as deeply as Paul? I thought about it often this week. And even as a pastor, somewhat a professional, it's something that we've just grown numb to in our culture. But I hope and I prayed quite a few times that we would be a church that will be saved from that. That we would truly believe this hope. Whether it's Costa Rica, Nicaragua, Jerusalem, China, all the way to the Middle East, across the broad lands, we believe the same gospel here in Denham Springs as we do across the nations. And we will preach it. And we will live it. But not only does God judge according to truth, He's going to judge us according to works. Let's read that together in our second part of the passage. In verse 5, he says, But because of your hard and impotent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. In this verse here, this very specific one, he will render to each one according to his works. And you're going to see it part here in verse 7. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil. The Jew first and also the Greek. So we see that part in verse 7 and verse 8. God judging according to our works. And I'll break it down to you like this. The result of a righteous heart, one that's been changed by God, will do good works for His glory. But the heart, the result of a rebellious heart, will do good works for their glory. Self-righteousness. That's as simple as I can put it. Paul is telling us here, you will be judged accordingly. A heart that is changed by God. You and I will be able to look at, discern, judge, and celebrate the work of Christ in their life. But the heart of a non-believer, we will be able to look at, discern, judge, and not celebrate the work of Christ in their life. That will lead us to prayer. That will lead us to proclamation. That will lead us to evangelism. We must be a church 
that receives the platforms and gifts God has given to us. Take those gifts and not earn according to what we want and desire, but work out this righteousness for good and for God's glory. So yes, God will judge. God will judge according to truth. God will judge according to works. And in his judging, in verse 11, God shows no partiality. Thank God. Both Jew and Gentile. We have a place in Christ Jesus that we will not be condemned. We will not see the wrath of God because of the good news of Jesus Christ. But it has to. As a believer, something has to work on the back end, that undertone of knowing that there are people who will not experience glory, will not experience eternity with Jesus Christ. There's this dynamic there that I'm thankful, but God, I know in that thankfulness it must move me to share the gospel for those who have not heard. But we know that all have seen. Therefore, we all have no excuse. We must teach people, share with them about the love that God has first shown us. We must look into their lives with honesty and truth. We must, adjoy, we must judge them according to the truth that is revealed in them. We must look at their works. But here's bring it home with the partiality. The reality is, as we live in the context that racism runs rampant. Skin tones. People are hired because they speak differently, look differently, act differently. We cannot be a church. We cannot be a church that doesn't join in with God's understanding and love for all people. God does not show He does not show partiality. Correct your heart this morning if you show partiality to people. Lostness is everywhere around us and we must share the gospel of Jesus Christ. We will all be judged. Every single one of us. Your family and friends. So as you and I find comfort, we find comfort in the great judge. We know that he is on our side. He has chosen us and loved us. There are those who are not. And in our knowledge of the love of God, we must go hard after them with the gospel. Our lives on this side of heaven can't simply be about just work. It can't be simply about just family. 
God has given us all these common graces, able to work the land and raise a family and experience life. But there's a greater conviction to you and I as a brother and sisters in Christ. And that is gospel. That is sharing it with every tongue and tribe in the nations. We will be a church. We will learn to do that. But this morning, is there is a sense of comfort knowing that we will not be condemned. Do not pass judgment on one to another. Be cautious of that. What I mean by that, do not play judge. But when you do look to one another's life, and you do make a judgment, do it according to God's word and truth. And finally, don't show partiality. Be equal. Let the word of God, let it work out in each conversation according to his works, not yours. That's a lot easier said than done. But find comfort this morning that God shows no partiality and that we are in Christ and we are loved. Challenge yourself not to be self-seeking, but righteous before God, giving God glory in all things that we touch all things that we do, and all things in speech or deed. There's a lot to think on. Think with me on that. Correct yourselves. Let's pray. Father, we... We know, Lord, that Your wrath is righteous. It is just. God, we know that your judgments are revealed. They were revealed in the past. They are revealed in us now. And they are revealed in your word and promise and future and final judgments. Lord, until that day, may we join, Lord, in this understanding and urgency that Paul had to examine our lives every day. To examine them in a way that, Lord, that we could find things that are unpleasing. That we use your word to correct us. Heavenly Father, we need the work of the Holy Spirit to guide us. Lord, I pray that this morning's message does not fall on deaf ears, hardened hearts. Lord, that we place expectations on one another to simply live for your glory, to be obedient in lifestyles of holiness to live lifestyles that are set apart clearly for you, Jesus. Lord, show us and teach us to hone our skills, to take the platforms you've given us, to use the conversation we have to share your gospel. And Lord, if we are not sharing the gospel, convict us. Lord, we thank you for the true word We thank you for all of it, even the things that make us uncomfortable. 
But Lord, in our understanding, we know that in your sovereignty, you are working it all out for our good and your glory. And we trust that. We pray these things in Jesus' name.